InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Every driver strives to avoid becoming a statistic. But do you know what factors make the biggest difference between life and death when you get behind the wheel? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here to take a look. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Dr. David Gerard is the Executive Director of the Center for the Study and Improvement of Regulation at Carnegie Mellon University, which recently issued an eye-opening analysis of road fatalities in the U.S. Dr. Gerard, welcome to InfoTrack. Well, thank you for having me. There were any number of surprises in your study, so maybe we can just start with a couple of things that surprised you the most. I think what we're most surprised about is that we find a lot of surprises in the data. We weren't particularly shocked by the fact that men are much riskier on the road than women, but we were shocked by the orders of magnitude of differences of driving, say, after midnight versus at midday, and, for example, the relative safety of school buses compared to just your average car on the road. So I'd say those are two of the big things. Let's talk about some specifics there. Men versus women drivers. What kind of ratio is there? Why are men more risky and so forth? Well, as far as our numbers go, everyone will say, well, men drive more. And that's true. And so what we've actually done is we've normalized it. So we're looking at deaths per mile driven or deaths per trip taken or deaths per minute in the car. And men drive about 65% more than women do, but they get killed at a much higher rate than that. About 20,000 male drivers are killed per year versus 6,700 women drivers. So if you look at those numbers, you say, well, gee, men are doing something wrong. It could be the case that they drive too fast, they drive recklessly, they drive without their seatbelts, they drive while under influence, or they drive at risky times. But certainly those are the big risk factors, are uh, drinking and not wearing your seatbelt. And we would speculate that men do more of that. Another interesting aspect, the highway death rate is higher for cautious 82-year-old women than for risk-taking 16-year-old boys. Talk about that. I think what's happening there is 16-year-old boys may be much more likely to get into a crash than, say, an 85-year-old woman. But 16-year-old boys are fairly robust. They're sort of at the prime of their lives physically, and they may be able to walk away or at least limp away from a, from a crash like that. Whereas you get old, and perhaps you're simply not physically capable. You get into a crash, and you're much more susceptible to serious injury or fatalities. Talk for a moment about different regions of the country. Where is the safest place to drive and where is the most dangerous? Well, again, what we're talking about here is safety in terms of not getting killed. So it could be the case, you know, all my answers could be exactly the opposite for, you know, whether or not your car is going to get banged up. But what we observed is that up in the Northeast that the uh, risk per mile is about 35% less than the national average. And down in some of the southern states, the risk per mile is about 60 to 70% higher than the national average. So those are pretty significant differences. What do you chalk that up to? It's not really clear what that is. One may just simply be the speed. You know, if you're caught in some congested traffic, you're going at a lower speed, you may get into a fender bender and, you know, swear at one another as you get out of your car, but you walk away, whereas if you're in more rural locales where the speeds are higher, you may roll your car and that's the end of it. We observe that the winter months are actually safer than the, the summer months. What we expect is behind that is that during the summer, people are driving faster, and when they get in crashes, they get killed instead of just getting injured. The time of the day also seems to be a factor in highway deaths. Talk about that for a moment. The big thing is at night, people, there's really three things. One is people are fatigued, perhaps at night. Two is that the visibility isn't what it is during the day. And then three, there's a lot more drinking going on at night. And this isn't something that we've done formally yet. We've just sort of sketched out, you know, some back of the envelope calculations. But it looks like alcohol is a pretty serious player as far as creating risk for people, not only people who drink, but for other people. And as I said, the uh, baseline risk for after midnight, between midnight and 4 a.m., 
is about five times higher than the risk any other time of the day. Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. David Girard. He is the Executive Director of the Center for the Study and Improvement of Regulation at Carnegie Mellon University. He recently headed up a study of traffic deaths nationwide, and that study is challenging a lot of the conventional wisdom about highway safety and highway deaths. Dr. Girard, your study also found some major differences in the safety of cars versus SUVs. A lot of times when people measure risk, they'll measure, you know, with available data, say, death per registered vehicle. But since SUVs are driven more and typically have more people in them, the deaths per mile and per passenger mile show that SUVs are generally safer. I think the exception is the mountain states where SUVs are less safe than passenger vehicles. But again, the safety measure here we're talking about takes in the behavioral aspects as well as the aspects of the vehicle. So it might be the case that people who are more prone to buying certain types of vehicles systematically behave differently. The safest vehicle was a minivan by far, except for a school bus. And we suspect it's because you have very safe cohorts, like 40-year-old women driving at low speeds with kids in the back of the car. And so they tend not to be the big risk takers. You don't see a lot of minivans weaving about at 3 o'clock in the morning filled with teenage boys who uh, had a few too many drinks. (laughs) You've mentioned school buses a couple of times. That is also a very interesting part of your study because I think a lot of people think, well, there are no seatbelts in school buses or airbags, so are they safe? Yeah, see, the thing is, school buses, that's really what prompted the story. My colleague Paul Fishbeck was on the National Academy's panel trying to evaluate the safety of school buses. And what they found was that there just really aren't that many deaths on school buses, but the public perception is exactly the opposite. And we suspect it's because every time there's a school bus tragedy, it makes national news. Mm -hmm. Whereas if your son gets killed on his way to school with his little brother in the car, that probably doesn't make national news. So you sort of get a selective view of what's going on. But school buses are very big. They drive at very low speeds. And a lot of the kids who get killed are kids who get off the bus and then get hit by cars or kids who are, you know, hanging out the window and get picked off by trees or something. So the school bus itself is pretty safe. There's other, of course, there's all sorts of other risks to riding the school bus. You can have your milk money taken or you can get, you know, bullied or something. But if you have a choice between putting your kid on a school bus or putting him in the car with your 16-year-old brother, I can assure you that the risk is much lower as far as him coming home of riding the school bus than going with his brother. If you had to pick one or perhaps two important things that the average driver could learn from all of these facts and figures, what would that be? The main thing is that risk is not a static concept. So your risk of getting killed really varies on not only things you do, but choices you make about when you drive, for example. When I was in college, I remember my buddies and I would get in the car at 10 o'clock and drive through the night to get somewhere because we always figured there was less traffic. We really didn't realize that we had very elevated risk, even if we weren't drinking, of being in these mishaps, running into a deer or getting hit by a drunk driver. So you have some control over things you do. When you drive, you can slow down, you can put on your seatbelt, you can not drink, and you can drive at times that are relatively safer and that can really mitigate your risk of getting killed. And I guess the whole point of your research is to make this information readily accessible to anyone via a new database, right? That's correct. The two sources of data we used, one is the federal database on traffic fatalities called FARS, and one is a survey of travel behaviors. You can go and pick these numbers out individually by querying these two databases. What we've done, we've developed a new database that does this calculation for you. So you can go and query the information and look at risks by various demographics. For example, if you're a 35 to 44-year-old man driving in the Northeast on a Friday afternoon, you can plug all that in and click a button and boom, you've got your risk estimate. So you can do that for different types of vehicles. You can do it for pedestrian versus bicyclist versus vehicle occupant. 
so the idea of the project was to make this information available and easier to access and also educate people about risk. So that's available on a website? You can access it at aaafoundation.org, and there should be a link to the site for there. It's called Traffic Stats. Dr. David Girard, the Executive Director of the Center for the Study and Improvement of Regulation at Carnegie Mellon University. Thank you very much for joining us today on InfoTrack. Well, it's been great being here. Thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.